Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is June 18th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can email me, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, joined this week by Nellie the Bunny, who I think is napping in the ha- in a little house that she's got right now. So Nellie, even less of a chance. Uh, Nellie's doing much participating today. Uh, Saturday afternoon podcast. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day, Dad, if you happen to listen to the first minute of this or so. Um, no beer today. Had a couple of beers last night, though, if anyone was interested in that. We did the Dogfish Head 60 plus a couple Southern Tier IPAs. Uh, basically just getting rid of some backlog of stuff that we had around the house, but uh, not going to do anything for the Sunday um, Sunday festivities here since uh, we've got a, I don't know, kind of a busy day, I think, tomorrow ahead of us. Uh, been a little bit of a busy week. Didn't get a chance to do a podcast last week. Um, kind of par for the course for me. <laughs> Most of the time, not getting it through. But uh, Megan did have her middle school graduation, so she uh, was obviously very excited about that. So we begin high school next year. And she also had her dance recital this week. Um, so that took up a lot of the time yesterday because she had two shows to do for that. One competition left for this year, and then we are done with competitions until, I believe, February is probably the next uh, competition that she'll have. So I'm excited for that, that she'll get back to kind of regular practice routine versus this uh, other practice routine that she's on. Um, so, yeah, that that's pretty much everything going on with me. Not, uh, not too, too much exciting, but, you know, enough to uh, make it tough to keep up with um, some of the things. But we kept up with the transactions and everything, so those things are all up to date. And, uh, you know, I did a little thing on Twitter this week looking at kind of future salary cap uh, implications for teams just to get an idea as to, you know, where teams are. And, of course, you, you post these things and everybody kind of gets a, a little, I don't know, they get a little sidetracked with it, like, well, you know, my team can do this, this. It's like every team in the league can do that. You're just trying to see relatively where the teams kind of stack up against one another. Um, because most teams are going to have the same ability to move um, their salary cap to get a better position if the situation calls for it. But it, it just kind of shows you that as things are structured right now, how much some of those teams do have riding on this current season. And, you know, the the thing that really stands out to me are the teams in the AFC East. You know, the Jets have a lot in this. Miami has a lot. And Buffalo has just gone above and beyond to try and extend this window, which I kind of talked about before that I, I thought that that was a mistake for them. Um, you know, and I know that there's been a number of, of people who commented about this, like, well, why do you keep saying that? Why, why do you say that they're going too far? It's like, you know, last year when you did the Von Miller deal, it's like that that was your one, it wasn't a good move, all right? It wasn't a good contract, probably wasn't a good decision, um, obviously made worse by the fact that he got hurt. And I, I think the getting hurt was more the expectation. When you bring in a player like that and your Buffalo you should be bringing that player in the way the Rams brought that player in. You're bringing him in as a rental when, you know, you're getting close to the end of the season. But it's not just that. You look at the things this year, and it's like you bring back all these different players. And, yes, some of them might be cheap, but at some point you're going to give these snaps to the veteran players at a time when you probably should be trying to develop younger guys to jump in there. The younger guys are the players that give you the you know more potential. And really, outside of Josh Allen, 
that's what Buffalo is going to be relying on if they want to be able to actually extend this window. You know, they, they need a great performance from their 2022 draft class. They need a great performance from their 2023 draft class if they actually want to go on and, you know, really be able to string this out. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's kind of what they've done. You know, and a lot of people are bringing up, well, Aaron Rodgers has a $100 million cap hit next year, so this isn't a real number for the Jets. Unless he takes a steep pay cut, it all kind of nets out. You know, what, they're going to increase their salary cap allocation this year, so that's going to decrease the amount of money that they can carry over to 2024. Okay? So it's mainly going to net out uh, there will be a little bit of a difference that's in there uh, because they, they can use a void year and so they can they can move some of it. Uh, you know, it would probably move the Jets from right now where they would be, um, where did I have them? Maybe about 15 over, 20 over. You know, it would probably shift them to kind of a neutral category, but they, they still wouldn't be average probably with the rest of the league. You know, and you, then they have a lot of free agents coming up and everything else. So you look at some of those teams, you're like, they're really all in on this. You look at teams like the Chargers and the Saints, and it's like, well, you know, they're really all in on this too. And, you know, I, I think these are the teams that you look at and you go, it's really important that they, you know, win this season. Otherwise, it's going to be tough. You know, Denver's in a position like that. Um, you know, a couple of the teams. And... You know, all these teams are going to have flexibility. The exceptions to that are going to be a team like the Eagles. Eagles are going to have less flexibility because the Eagles have built into their contracts already. Um, basically, uh, almost all the restructures possible. So that they have, they have a lot less leeway than, say, a team like the Saints, who, you know, project to be, say, $55 million over next year. They have the ability to move from 55 negative to you know somewhere around 20 million in cap room let, let's say that I don't have their, their restructure potential in front of me uh, but let, let's say in that kind of ballpark without making changes the Eagles don't have the ability to get from 50 to 90 they have the ability to get from like 50 to 55 you know they, they don't they don't have that that type of wiggle room but they're, they're really the only team um, I think that kind of fits in that situation um, of all the teams in the league. But anyway, I just uh, threw that out there. Um, you know, some people, I, I got a couple of questions, and one, and I, I didn't get a chance to reply by email. I will, um, hopefully this week. But it, it was asking about the Eagles and certain things that they do and, um, you know, just learning a little bit more about it. And I'm hoping, you know, this summer to, to do a couple of videos on stuff like that, like salary cap trends, just some of the more innovative things maybe that are being done with contracts that some other teams can duplicate or should duplicate or should think about. Uh, you know, and obviously that gets into the concept of void years and the timing on stuff of different types of payments and structures. Um, but those are definitely things that I think work better as a video format, almost like a uh, learning thing. Uh, so I, I think I'll try to do those. Um, just also keeping up on the the summer stuff well i mentioned that and i talked about this a little bit on twitter last night um since megan was at the second show for her dance competition i, I didn't go to the second one i only went to the first one 
Um, I was home with Jacob, so I know I couldn't get the recording in on this. I was just working through a bunch of stuff for wide receivers. And so uh, for the, the people who subscribe on the premium side of it, we'll have some papers done this summer, uh, wide receivers, running backs, edge. Those are the three I'd like to do. Um, you know, basically they're going to be market overviews. You're going to look at market history. We're going to look at player trends. Um, you know, maybe some ways that we can use some of the past performances to kind of determine what's the optimal time to, you know, extend a player. Um, you know, what type of contract structure? When is the best time to trade a player? Uh, that kind of stuff. When I finalize it, we'll, I'll talk about the first one that I do a little bit on here. Um, you know, but you, you can check out my Twitter feed if you just want to see the, the stuff that I put together on the wide receivers. And, you know, th this was just looking at wide receivers, um, you know, who were able to get a thousand yard season during the course of their rookie years and, you know, what type of drop off there is. And you can see, you know, I, I was a little surprised actually by these numbers. Um, I did not expect the peak performance to be years two, year three. I actually thought the peak performance was going to be three, four. Uh, but more often than not, it's two, three. Um, still solid play three four five and then you start to see that you know that decline uh where you know everyone everyone gets into the hole well you know there's still possible you know possibility of doing this and they have a big game and oh yeah that player's back or he needs more targets he needs more of this that and the other thing and you know the first thing that really popped into my head looking at this and i think this is an example i'm going to turn to probably a lot and that's tyreek hill um you know, the, the way the Chiefs handled that. And, you know, obviously Tyreek Hill was still very productive last season and maybe very productive this year. But from a timing standpoint, it just seems like they hit everything right on on that one in terms of when they did the extension, uh, the idea probably of trading him once the, the numbers got too high and where that play might be projected to go now that he's getting a little bit further into his career. Because, you know, you're not looking to, you know, pay for past performance. You're looking to pay for future performances. Um, so anyway, you, you can check those out there just to see, um, you know, some of the stuff that we did. And, you know, other things that I'll be looking at as well are the players who didn't hit those thousand yards during the course of that rookie contract. The odds of those players coming into some, to a different situation or even staying in the same situation in year five, year six, and coming out of nowhere to have these big seasons, it's pretty rare. Uh, that was my quick takeaway. I, I was going to say it might be a player like a um, Tyler Lockett. I, I don't think he hit... I don't have them in front of me, but I, I think he was one of those when I was doing some other filters on the data. Um, I think he was one that popped up as probably one of the most productive players that didn't come out right out of the gates and play great. Now, he was very close to hitting a 1,000 yards in those first four years. I'm just pulling his numbers up here. Uh, in his fourth year in the league, he was at 965. So, I mean, he was right on the cusp of it. I think the other player was Robert Woods, I think was the other standout guy who was not a, yeah, and he was nowhere near it. Um, you know, 600, 700, 550, 613. He goes to the Rams, 781, and then out of nowhere, 1219, 1134. Um, you know, now he was a younger player when he came into the league at 21, but, you know, just out of this world with those kind of numbers, which probably says uh, not, not just for him, but, um, you know, the, I think that coaching staff and the way that they were running the offense, um, 
there and you know they they made that mistake of extending him but they they quickly bailed on that and you know they they found a taker somehow for him um but that that'll be some stuff that'll be coming up over the course of the summer and uh we'll do those but i'll i'll mention it on twitter when they come out and the wide receiver one i think i'll do a little bit of a discussion on in here um you know and just some just some fun stuff to work with with uh some of the stats and um everything else if there's other positions you guys are interested in just let me know but those are the three that uh you know i kind of would want to work with um dalvin cook i think that's really where you know i wanted to start with something a little bit more in depth than just the ramblings of uh you know a little wide receiver thing and the um salary cap future cap kind of stuff uh Dalvin Cook got released, not surprisingly. I don't know why the Vikings waited as long as they did. It didn't really make a lot of sense. You know, if he shows up in an offseason program gets hurt, you know, you're stuck with a very big bill. Um, so I didn't really get the timing on it. I, I didn't understand that. I, I guess – I don't really know what they were hopeful for. Like, they, there's no reason a team would trade for him at the salary he was at. You know, he was the – uh, second or third highest paid player at the position or fourth highest paid player at the position. You know, it, it's... You, you play at a fast track when you're playing in Minnesota. You know, it, it's not... That's not a, a type of player that someone's going to trade for. And, you know, I, I think most around the league don't get suckered into the hype of the um, running back anymore. I think those days are done. You know, there's always, there might be a possibility there's always one team. Um, you know, you had San Francisco last year with Christian McCaffrey, but that was a in-season one, you know, kind of like the Von Miller. You know you're in a certain position, so you kind of take that leap of faith based on what you're seeing for that particular year as to what you think might help you. Um they obviously were not going to carry him in at a $11 million salary into the regular season. So that situation was not going to come up. And, you know, the, the last time you had a player who really got anything as a free agent, um, you know, that had that kind of interest was Le'Veon Bell. And that was really the Jets' front office probably trying to please their owner more than it was making a football decision. But I think the thing that surprised me the most was how many people kind of um, got upset with Dalvin Cook's release. I, I was really surprised by that. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of, you know, we've gone too far with this running back stuff. Uh, you know, I made a comment just about basic production and how long these contracts really last for and you know, how much you just end up wasting on it. And, you know, a lot of people really got on me for that one. Like, I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, there's times when I'll put stuff online, I'm like, oh, this, this is probably going to set people off. I didn't expect that one to do that. So I, I guess Dalvin Cook is uh, pretty popular in Minnesota. And, you know, I, I think this was a player where maybe people have had a harder time really wrapping their head around releasing a guy when you know you, you look at the yardage totals and you know you're seeing he's got almost 1200 yards he's got eight touchdowns um you know 4.4 yards a carry 
And it's certainly not an Ezekiel Elliott situation, right? It's a, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was done. Ezekiel Elliott was a complete negative for that offense. Like, it, it, they were in a position where they were having to play him simply because of the salary um, that was involved there and the relationship, I think, with the owner. So, you know, that this was not that same kind of situation. So I think people looked at this and it's like, well, how could you be getting rid of this player? So, you know, one of the things is just that you've just got so many different factors in it. Um, you know, one of the big things that I think comes up is, I don't know, kind of kind of the, the downside of play in the NFL. It's, I talk about this from time to time. The, the NFL is very weird, right? It's, it's a lot of coaches, general managers, players. Most are going to be kind of alpha personalities. Um, they're probably going to be very bullish on, you know, the outcomes of a team. You know, you're going to be very bullish on the players that you sign. You're very bullish on the players that you draft. You overlook all the warning flags. You overlook all the negative possibilities. Yet, when it comes to game management, when it comes to game decision making, we focus very strongly on the potential of the negative outcome versus the potential of the positive outcome. And I think this is where a lot of things kind of come into play with the running back stuff, where you look at that runner averaging, you know, four and a half yards a carry. And you look at the 1,200 yards and you're like, you know, that that's just a, it, it's a huge part of the offense and, you know, he's very productive and, you know, this is just, it's really important for the team. The fact is, it, it's really kind of an inefficient use of resources a lot of times, even if, you know, some of those highlight plays do get to you. And I, I get that, you know, he breaks out into the open field and he gets a big run and, you know, it, that's what you're you're seeing. But, you know, just to look at it, you know, just on the perspective of first down, and th this goes on a, a league-wide basis for how you're running your offenses, you know, Kirk Cousins, and, you know, for all the downsides that come with Cousins, you know, he do doesn't have, like, this huge ceiling. But, you know, he's a good quarterback. It's not like he's a, a bad NFL quarterback. So if you just look at the first down productivity of these guys, you know, what gets focused on when we're like, oh, well, we need to run the ball, um, you know, where you need to run the ball on first down, you know, or something like that. Well, you know, Kirk Cousins might throw an incomplete pass or, you know, maybe he'll throw an interception or something like that. I can get that, right? You know, so Kirk Cousins on first down last year, first and 10 situations, about 32% of the time, he's going to have a play that goes for no yards. And so you're going to end up in second and 10. And teams hate ending up in second and 10 situations. Now, he's also got a number of plays where you're going to end up with negative yardage, right? You're going to get sacked or whatever negatives might happen on those plays. So, you know, you're basically looking at a situation where, you know, about 40% of the time there's going to be some type of negative outcome on the passing play. And by the same token, if you look at the running plays that you have with Cook, it's only about 20% of the time you're going to have a negative. It's about 9% of the time he's going to get stuffed and about 11% of the time he's going to have a negative play. So, 
you know, you, you look into that and you're like, oh, well, yeah, that that's that's the big thing. But you look at these other kind of things, you know, his main productivity is going to come in the, these kind of low ranges, right? So what we're getting here, let me just pull up his actual things. Let me just make sure I have this uh, right the way that I wanted to run this one here. Just give me one second. So he gained between one and two yards on 14% of his carries. He gained three yards, I believe is what I had as the cap off on that. Three yards on, you know, another 13% of his carries. So we're getting an outcome here that's going to lead to second and seven, which is not much better than second and 10. Um, you know, we're getting an outcome that about 47% of the time, you're going to end up in second and seven or worse. Kirk Cousins, you're going to end up in second and seven or worse about 48% of the time, even. Well, what happens when we get to these, these other ranges? So, you know, you can get to a second and six, second and five, uh, better chance of that with Cook. But Cousins gives you about an 8% chance of having a passing play on first down that's going to be over 20 yards. Cook gives you a 1% chance of having that kind of play on first down. Cousins gets you about a 23% chance of having a game between 10 and 20 yards. Cook, for all the everything that comes with it, about a 13% chance on his plays. So you're looking at Cousins for all the garbage that he's going to get, you know, Cousins is going to give you a first down on about 31% of the plays. And 8% of those plays are going to be pretty big gains. You're, you're going to face a second down situation with Cook about 85% uh, of the time, give or take a little bit. So only 15% of the time, and he's not giving you that big upside. And that, this is not a, a critique at all on Dalvin Cook. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me for other players. Um, I didn't want to run that to see how these compared. But, you know, it, it's just where you're, you're just going in so much on this. We don't want second and 10 when, you know, your outcomes on second and seven or second and eight, second and nine are not going to be much better. You know, if you run a, a passing play on second down, um, let me pull up the numbers that you would actually convert on that second down. Give me one second here. All right. So on second and 10, conversion rates on a pass are about 28%. On a second and nine, about 29%. Second and eight, 30%. If you can get to second and seven, about 36%. And then, you know, you start getting much higher as you get closer and closer. Um, you know, about a 41% chance when you're six yards away, 49% chance five yards away, 52% um, chance four yards away. At three yards, second and three, you can go either either way. Uh, running on second and one, second and two has the higher odds of, you know, converting a first down. But, you know, you have a chance. Second and one, the, the amount of big passing plays you can get on second and one is gigantic. Um, 
you know that that's really where you can really make out great with getting those uh, those big pass plays, which you're not going to get on a second down run. A second and one run is basically going to get you a very short amount of yardage because teams get caught overplaying the run. But you know, again, it, it's that we're again leaning into the negative outcome of like we can't get second and ten, but there's virtually no difference at second and nine, second and eight. There's a little bit of a difference if you can get to second and seven, and it's a little bit of a better spot, obviously, if you can get to second and six. So, you know, our main outcomes that we're going to have with Dalvin Cook or any other runner is going to be basically the same (laughs) as the downside of a pass without the upside that's in there. And, you know, sometimes you get rid of these the players in many ways to save yourself from the coaching. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that that's, that's the case in Minnesota because I, I think the coach and the general manager in this should be in sync. But in, in some ways, that, that's one of the ways that you get that out of there is you get rid of that expensive player who, you know, when he doesn't get the football, you're going to go after, um, you know, after the game. Well, why didn't you get the ball in that spot? How come it went to this guy? Why didn't it go to you? And, you know, it starts to create division. It starts to create, you know, all kinds of negative stuff. And, you know, that that's one of the reasons I think why you, you kind of move on is you don't want a player with the big contract who obviously is a very popular player within the team to kind of become a distraction or someone like an Ezekiel Elliott where you almost feel forced to play the person. And the worst thing that can happen is when you do have a bad outcome that occurs on a play, on a series of plays, and you have to go in there on Monday and you probably have to explain it to the owner. And then the owner is the one that says, well, I've got this running back who we're paying $11 million to. Why aren't you giving him the ball more? It's like that. That's that's almost like a checkmate for getting into really bad game management if something like that happens. Uh, again, I have no idea if that would happen in Minnesota, but that kind of stuff can happen. You move that player, and you know sometimes that gets rid of some of these troubles. Um, you know that can occur with the way that you are managing a game or handling a game or anything else. Um, You know, the other thing, too, where I talked about the wide receivers and you talk about the productivity and you see those kind of slow declines and then it becomes a rapid decline. You know, for every player in the league, you can map out basically something that's like a remaining value, a remaining productivity. Now, one of the things that's difficult with football compared to um, baseball, football is not really a statistical sport, never has been. So getting buy-in on a lot of these different ways of measuring player value is kind of difficult. Um, one of the things that I, I found for the work that Brad and I did with the, the book that really helped was we didn't actually go out there and try and create a new metric. We didn't try to you know make something that measures, you know, individual play you know we do stuff like that i have our own valuations pff has grades everyone's got something right um but we didn't try to do that my my take on it was let the nfl tell me what those players are worth let me let the quote-unquote experts at it tell me the value of those players you know they're telling me that Mike Evans is worth X amount of dollars. So fine, I know where Mike Evans was drafted. 
I know what that value is relative to the market. And, you know, we went with that. And that actually helped gain traction with teams that actually use the chart. <laughs> it just, they, they might not use it to, to actually make a trade, but they use it just as a guide for what are the likely outcomes, um, you know, if the, the bullish end of the trade maybe doesn't happen. But one of the reasons why is because it's almost like you're like, well, we're just deferring to your judgment. You know, it's like we're, we're just showing you what's happened in your own NFL kind of universe. And I, I think that's probably where some of the stuff goes wrong with, um, you know, when trying to come up with remaining productivity of players, um, you know, because admittedly, sometimes looking at yardage is just a it's a bad indicator. You know, there, there's a lot of ways that people can gain yards that maybe don't make them efficient. Um, but. You know, even if you just want to use something like that as a baseline, um, you know, you, you can map out a player based on where he was drafted. Let's say it's a running back, where he was drafted. And, you know, you can say that, you know, this is probably, this should be based on his draft status, you know, his career productivity level. This is what your outcome would be. And you'd obviously have some high and low, low end stuff there, but, the, you know, average projection. As he gets more and more, um, statistics under his belt in the NFL, those numbers are going to adjust up, they're going to adjust down. There comes a point in time where every player has that drop. And you know, I talked about that with the receivers a little bit ago where you kind of said, wow, you know, in year eight, it's like a real kind of a significant drop off. You know, before that, it's kind of like a slow decline. You're still convincing yourself the player's got it. And then year eight hits and you're like, oh boy, you know, why did we trade for this guy? Or, you know, why, why did we extend him? Um, you know, and so you need to do that with all the players on your team. And if you look at Dalvin Cook, the odds of him having another season, that would be an 1100 yard season plus a couple hundred yards in the passing game, um, are probably pretty limited. And, you know, just based on, the where the production comes from at the position, where you can find players on the cheap, and just the general inefficiency of the using the running game, with the exception really of short yardage situations for the most part, um, you know, it, it, it's a spot where you're like, why are we wasting eleven million dollars on that position? There, there's not eleven million in value probably to begin with. And there's certainly not going to be 11 million in value of a player who's been in the league for seven years or however long Cook's been in the league. Um, what is he? One, two, three, four, five, six years. This will be his seventh year. Um, you know, who's been in the league that long. <coughs> you know, now, might you end up looking bad for it? I mean, I, I, I guess there's a chance. Um, you know, but... Uh, you know, I, I think those are the kind of decisions you, you have to make. Um, you know, you could see they leaned on him a lot less. I'm just looking at how much per game because he was hurt the prior year, really the prior couple of years. Last year was the first year he actually played 17. Um, you know, but if you look at, you know, where things were in 2019, he was at 80 yards a game, over 100 yards a game in 2020, 90 yards a game in 2021. That dropped to 69 yards a game last year. So they, they were already starting that phase-out process. Um you know, and I think all those things kind of play a role. And 
it's a luxury kind of player to have at that point. And when you look at the Vikings salary cap, you look at where they are going into the future. I don't think that that is a, um, you know, that that's a luxury that they can afford. You know, they owe him 2 million bucks. He'll sign somewhere. Maybe they'll get an offset of that whole, whole number. Or they'll certainly get at least a million of it. Um, you know, but that, you know, it, it's just a, it's a better decision. It's a more optimal decision for building the team in the future. And, you know, a lot of people looked at this and it's like, well, they're tanking, they're tanking, they're tanking. And it's like, getting rid of the running back is not, doesn't mean you're tanking. You know, if they got rid of the quarterback, I'd say, yeah, they're tanking. You know, if they got rid of Justin Jefferson, I'd say, yeah, they're tanking. You know, they're, they're just kind of on this weird path still. Uh, but th- this was the right move for them for now and in the future. Um, but, you know, with the running backs, you know, you, you look at like a Barkley, um, you know, in New York. And th- there's a business reason to keep Saquon Barkley. You know, it's a he's a big jersey seller. He's a very popular player um, among the fans, especially among the kids. Um, you know, he's exciting when he gets those big plays. Uh, you know, but again... There's just no need for what you're trying to build as a team. There's really no need for it. And there's not. There's just no need for that type of player. Not at that kind of salary. Not not you know clogging up the books and everything else. And you know you, you look at Minnesota's position here. They have a quarterback going in the final year of his contract. They have a wide receiver who's going to get paid a lot. They have a very unhappy edge rusher. Um, they had a much better than expected season last year, but they still have the same kind of root problems with their team, and they really haven't gone anywhere to address it. And th- this is kind of the first step to, I-, I think, addressing it and you know trying to be in a position where they can kind of turn this over into a, a completely new direction. Um, I-, I don't know what that'll be for them. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what they'll decide to do with Cousins. You know, Cousins, to me, makes sense as, like, San Francisco's quarterback next year. Um, but, you know, you're not going to get any value out of it. Uh, you're not going to get anything in a trade or anything like that. Um, it's an interesting spot for Minnesota um, just moving forward. You know, when they doubled down on Cousins last year, you know, you've got Jefferson where he's at. And, you know, he's going to be great for a couple more years. You just wonder, is that going to be wasted with a rookie quarterback? You know, it's like you can fall into similar traps with wide receivers impact on the game, I think, as you can with running backs. Um, You know, you can have a wide receiver that absolutely dominates, even if he dominates target share. Um, You know, those guys are fewer. Um, You know, Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, those kind of players who have really dominated an entire offensive output. But, you know, it's like you can get 120 yards, which is a great game. You can even get more than that, which is a fantastic game for a wide receiver. But if nothing else in the offense is working because you've got this young rookie quarterback that's not doing that well, um, you know, that, that, that you don't have the impact on the game. You know, and again, you get blinded by that. And you're like, well, they can't survive without this player. And it's like, yeah, but by the time everything kind of gets on the same page, he's not the same player anymore. It's a, it's a tricky spot. It, it's a it's a hard spot to be in. I, I, 
I, I don't think anyone would be envious of uh, Minnesota's position right now whatsoever um, with how they're going to handle everything really going forward because they they kind of went into and this may have just been ownership influenced it's almost like that they've been on this same pattern that they would have been on with the last general manager of just waiting out the salary cap it's not a mess but just the salary cap side of it and then seeing if they can you know fix things but it's like you've just the timing on everything it just feels like none of it's going to work out and they're not really developing anyone behind cousins of note it seems like there's no i don't know it's just a it's just a weird um it's just a weird spot i i i didn't i, I don't know i never expected this to when they fired um spielman i i didn't expect this to be the outcome you know, I thought that they were going to be in a situation that was going to be something much closer to what we saw in Chicago, where you started to just kind of see a purge, where you finally go, well, you know, enough is enough. Um, let's start, you know, moving guys out. Um, now, obviously, they, they had, you know, a good season last last year, much better than I would have anticipated. I think anybody would have anticipated. Um but, you know, it's like they hit everything perfect, I think, to get there. And, you know, I've always said it. This team is built as like a 500 team. If you're built like a 500 team, there's a range of outcomes, you know, that range probably anywhere from seven wins, you know, to something like 11 or 12 wins. Um, you know, and that's, I think that, what did they finish with last year? They did really well last year. Um, what did they finish with? 12 wins? I don't even remember. 13 wins. They they hit 13. I mean they 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 came out great. They were outscored. <laughs> you know, but their numbers that it was like the highest potential outcome that you could imagine um you know for them. But it's still fundamentally the same issues exist with the team that existed last year. So I I don't really know where they where they go, but you know, I, I think people just getting sidetracked on the whole running back thing are just way off on this. And, you know, all, all you have to do to see how off you are on it is if Dalvin Cook was looked at and the running game was looked at as being that important around the league, don't you think he would have had a big offer the minute he was released? You know, when people tell you that they're they're mulling over situation, remember Ezekiel, yeah, I got a couple things that I'm I'm thinking about. There's no interest. You're trying to drum up interest most of the time. You know, DeAndre Hopkins right now. That's a situation of trying to drum up interest. Will he go to New England? Yeah, maybe. Will he sign for ten million, fifteen million? I guess it's entirely possible. It it all I can picture with that one is Ocho Cinco, you know, in uh, New England. It's just bad memories, I think, of that. Um, maybe, maybe he's a Jets fan. Maybe that's a good memory. Um, you know, but it's like if, if you see these players released and you don't see this giant market developing, well, obviously, it, it's not me missing something about it. Then it's you missing something about it. 
because the league as a whole is not, you know, jumping at a certain player. So, I don't know. That's just, uh, you know, my, my take on the Dalvin Cook thing and just, you know, running backs in general. It's just not a productive play choice. You know, you, you, you want those running backs. Really, uh, your most productive use of those players, it's going to be short yardage stuff. And it's going to have, and th- this is something that Cook would be, but it's having a guy out there on third down and probably incredibly long where many times it looks like a give-up play, but a lot of times you can catch a defense off guard, um, you know, off some type of screen or draw where, you know, they're just not expecting it and the guy gets into the open field and makes a bunch of guys miss and maybe gets that big conversion. Um, you know, that's, that's really where it's at with that, uh, that position. And, you know, there, there's just a lot of guys that can, that can be productive and that that's not something you can say for the other positions in the league. Uh, other big story this week was the Stefan Diggs thing in Buffalo. I have no idea what any of that was about. It was just bizarre. You know, he, he showed up for his physical and then sounds like he walked out. And, you know, it was weird. The coach was, like, very concerned. Then it, they tried to pacify the whole situation by, you know, going through... I think it was Rappaport basically saying, no big deal. You know, the, the whole thing was, you know, overblown, not a big deal, in-house issue, not a big deal, not a big deal, not a big deal. And it certainly wasn't contract related. You know, I brought up the, the money he was owed, you know, and you can't get him out of there. The way his contract is done, there, there's nothing you can do with him uh, but keep him there. You know, and then they, they, it seems like they cut the thing short. Um, whether he's looking for more input whether he's looking for more opportunity. I have no idea what that is. It's a real bad spot for Buffalo. Um, you know, I, I think if, uh, you know, if this is something that's carried over from last year and basically it blew up within 24 hours of everybody being together for, uh, you know, your off-season stuff, it, it's, a, it's a pretty bad situation, I think, for the Buffalo Bills to be in, no matter what they want to say right now about it. Um, as a Jets fan, hey, bring it on. It's all all great. Bring on the drama. But, uh, you know, it's like if you can't get this completely squashed now, what's going to happen in September? You know, what's going to happen in October if you just have a day that's a bad day at the office? You know, you, you have no way to move them. You know, you, you're talking, let me see, what I think it's like 30 million dead next year. Yeah, thirty-one point oh nine six million in dead money. Um, you know, if they had to move them next year, so I mean, you know, I, I I don't know if this was a good extension. I kind of shrugged at the extension, like eh, I don't know, maybe maybe not. Um, you know, but it, it's a it's a lot there because they they've had to prorate so much money in this, and you know, it, it's just a it's just a bad look for them. If, uh, you know, something is just going to completely blow up and, you know, this is an example of a contract that's probably going to go sideways for them. This is one of those deals where you probably need to start to get creative with, you know, exit strategies. And if if stuff really did go bad here, uh, I think what you would have to do, to, to be honest, now he does have, 
Okay, so he does have money that's injury protected in this deal. Um, assuming he didn't void it by missing, I think he missed one day of practice. I, I don't think that'll void it. Um, but I mean, I, I guess anything is possible, but man, that would really blow things up. So let's assume that there's there's no void on the injury protection in this deal. Nothing kicks in until next year anyway uh, on the full. My assumption is if things go bad, I think what you have to do is, let's say eight weeks into the season, nine weeks into the season, if things are just not going well, you got to sit down with his agent, sit down with him, and say, look, we've got to get through this season. We've got to make this happen. We will find a way to remove you from the team next year. Um, we will give you your release and you can go and find a job with another NFL team. We're not going to go the trade route. We're not going to hold you for it. We're not going to do anything with salary cap. But what you have to be willing to do is renegotiate your deal down for next year to the minimum salary. Um, and we will be able to basically make you a post-June 1 cut by you doing that. If they did something like that, they'd be able to drop his dead money next year from $31 million down to about ten, um, you know, give or take a little bit. June won him, and then you would defer uh, $22 million or so to 2025. And that's the way you'd be able to do it because you can't take thirty-one next year um, moving on. So... That's what you would do is you would have to do that and you'd have to do it. It would have to be the ultimate way of, I, I think, just trying to be like, look, we'll do this for you. We just need you to, to be on the same page with us as the rest of the season. And obviously everything that you do the rest of this year is going to help you get a contract somewhere next season. If it's not here, it'll be somewhere. Um, you know, and that's probably the next thing that... that I would think that's the next step um, for them if these things blow up. But it, it just seems like a very weird, um, just a very weird kind of situation. All right, uh, let's take a look at questions that we've got. Oh, I did have a question, some more stuff on Quinn and Williams. Uh, I'm a little surprised that that deal's not done yet. Um, I do still, do steal. I do still anticipate um, that that deal will get done. I think this is just the Jets being the Jets. They are just, I don't know, they're just slow with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, they're weird with it. Um, but I, I would anticipate, um, you know, I, I would anticipate that they will, uh, you know, do that. That they, they'll, they will get a deal done. So, I wouldn't push the panic button on that one yet, uh, Jets fans. I'd, I'd say that uh, those things are still okay. We're, we're still in a good spot uh, when it comes to that. All right, let me take a look for podcast questions here. Let me go to email first. Let's see if there's anything. Uh, let's see, Eddie has a question. I know the deadline has passed, but just one... Oh, no, that hasn't passed that because I didn't actually record last night. Uh, just wondered about players designated as a June 1 release, such as John Johnson. Are they free to sign anywhere from March onwards, or does the new team have to wait until June 2nd? No, no, no. They, they can be signed as soon as they're actually released. So on uh, March... 
I don't remember what the first day of the league year was, March 15th. So on March 16th, those players were eligible to sign anywhere. Um, their cap remains on two active rosters at that point. Um, but it, it's just for accounting purposes on the old team. So that's the purpose of a June 1. It's just a it's just an accounting hold. It has nothing to do with the player's actual status. They're, n- they're not held in limbo uh, from being able to go into free agency. Uh, let's see. This is from Max. How big of an edge do you think teams with large cash budgets that are consistently willing to spend cash over cap have over the rest of the league? Um, so it depends. Like... If you're a team that has a a very um, very good group of owners in terms of being willing to spend, and you're a good front office, you know I think that that's a big advantage. Like Howie Roseman being in Philadelphia is he he's going to have more of an impact there than say if he was hired by the Indianapolis Colts. Um, you know, the, the Eagles have a budget that allows them to, you know, take risks, make some mistakes, as long as they're smart enough with the, the way they handle the salary cap to kind of cover up some of those mistakes. So I, I think, you know, if you pair those two things, I think that can be a pretty big edge. Um, you know, Atlanta, I think that can be a situation that's a big edge. Um, you know, if you have the right guys in there, I don't, I don't know if who they have right now um, is going to be the right, you know, the right group that's in there. Um, you know, but that that's that's a thing. I, I think that is absolutely the case. You know, if you have a team that's willing to spend, um, you know, Cleveland probably willing to spend, you know, if you have that and you have a good front office you're going to have a big competitive advantage over a lot of these other teams because you're going to think outside the box. You're going to take more risks. So you're going to get more, you know, hits on some of those things. Um, you know, the worst spot really is to, to be with these teams that have a low budget um, and, you know, doesn't have that great general manager or doesn't have someone that kind of comes from that situation. You know, like, for example, Indianapolis right now, um, and I'm picking on them a little bit with the, the budgeting thing, the hire that they got was probably right because you're bringing in someone who has experience working in an organization where things are a little bit tighter and you know they have to get more creative to make things work. Um, you know Whether that's the, their investments that they have in their coaching staff, whatever they're doing uh, with the way they're approaching the draft, how they approach their veteran contract extensions. And obviously, you know, Kansas City has been incredibly successful. Um, you know, but that meshed well, I think, with the, you know, the, the Indianapolis, um, you know, kind of philosophy, you know. It, but, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, when you, you bring, it, it, it's if you bring the wrong person um, into the situation, you know, it doesn't do you any good. Like, if you're a team that's willing to spend a lot of money, but you bring in a very conservative general manager, it's probably not going to be a big benefit for you. You know, um, the negative is, though, when you do have that, you know, free spending owner and you bring in a bad group of general managers, then you just get, like, disaster. You know, that that's when disaster strikes because... You have this ability to just spend and spend and spend and spend, and you probably don't think about the consequences 
um, you know, that might come up in the future. You know, so I, I think that can be it can be a negative when you get those uh, those teams with that that type of budget. Um, you know, but I think it's a very big positive if it's the right guy in the front office um, that's in there. And I think that makes it much, much, much harder on some of these other teams to, uh, you know, to compete with that. Uh, let's take a look. Uh, this is from Cam. I believe I got this after the last podcast. What is the point of roster bonuses in Mahomes' contract? Wouldn't making that money salary and then prorating it when needed effectively be the same thing? So it would and it wouldn't. The purpose of those is, as we all know, Mahomes took a very, very, very team-friendly um, contract, right? It, it's not in any way, shape, or form a good contract for him, Um relative to, you know, what his earning potential could be. Obviously, it's a great, you know, it's a huge amount of money that he is, you know, going to earn on it. But the reason that you have those in there, it's protection for the player. It, it's kind of to force um, the Chiefs into making early decisions, whether it's an early extension, um, early meaning it happens in March. The decision to prorate the money, you know, the decision comes in March. Um you know, versus having it delayed until the regular season. You know, the the negative potential of, um, you know, things going sideways, for example, and the team basically being able to carry him until June before having to cut, before cutting him, you know, and, and making him not have that good of a chance at free agency. So really that's what it is. It, it's a mechanism to kind of help um move things along, help protect the player in the event of something going wrong and him being released. You know, and I, I would say the the biggest one on it is the uh, roster bonus he has in 2027, which is 49-4. Uh, that's the biggest of the of the group. Uh, that year he's got a cap hit of 62-3. Now, obviously that, that number was not that, that high, but, you know, they've done a couple restructures. I guess one restructure that hit that. Um, you know, but it was still going to be like 60 million or so, or 59 million. That's a roster bonus that's designed to say, hey, listen, um, you know, if, if this is the year where we should be doing another contract extension, we better get pen to paper before this 49-4 hits the books. Because otherwise we're going to collect that money and you're still going to, you know, pay us on top of it. So, you know, that that's that's kind of the reasons that those are in there. So it's more from the player side as a mechanism in there, as a, uh, you know, as kind of a, a give from Kansas city in order to get him to sign this incredibly team friendly contract. Uh, let's take a look on Twitter. See if I got anything here, Brian, happy father's day. Uh, how badly do you want Aaron Rodgers to be your father? Uh, I don't think Aaron Rodgers to be that, but uh, he can be the Bills' father or something this year. Uh, Zach, ready to feature in the Athletic on Barkley and Jacobs. What solution do you have, if any, if, uh, to running backs getting screwed? There is no good solution for it. You know, it, it's like we we look at running backs again. We, we look at them differently because of that yardage number. And we look at them probably in part two because, you know, fantasy football and historically – 
you know, we, we have these great memories, even of players that we, we probably never saw play, you know, like a Jim Brown. Uh, I'm sure there's people listening to this that really never saw much of Barry Sanders. Um, you know, you, you look in those, you know, the, the old things and they talk about Emmett Smith or you talk about Walter Payton, um, you know, all these, you know, these players. And, you know, we, we look at it and it's like, well, you know, how come they're not getting this or why are they not getting that or whatever? And it's like, you know, punters aren't making money. Long snappers aren't making money. You know, it's like there are positions in the NFL that don't make money. You know, relative to to you know anything else, you know, it's like the, not like the market for the punter has greatly increased in the last ten or fifteen years. You know, same with those long snappers. You know, the, same with a linebacker. All right, yeah, there's a couple of linebackers who get paid, but for the most part, you know, th- there was a point in time where the way linebackers were paid probably, you know. If you if you mark that out to today, you know everybody would have like a fifteen million dollar linebacker. Um, you know that that doesn't exist. You know the the linebackers have kind of gotten slaughtered. Centers, you know their salaries have been pretty stagnant for the most part. Um, safeties relatively stagnant, except for a couple of players now. Yeah, it's true. Maybe we don't get those couple of players at running back that break that scale like you do at linebacker. But I don't see people going crazy and sticking up for those positions because I think, you know, it's just more hidden because it doesn't make a great impact. You know, while we do talk about centers and stuff, most of the time, you know, you shrug a shoulder and it's like, oh, yeah, center, whatever. So, you know, I, I think we just kind of get a little blindsided by it. But, you know, the, the solution to it, if there was one, and this is where, in my opinion, the PA just screwed up royally in this last negotiation, you have to reduce the length of rookie contracts. It's that simple. Players' value in the NFL right now is at an all-time low, with the exception of a couple positions, when it comes to... Um, what teams expect past a certain age. And whatever that age might be, it's going to vary position to position. You know, left left tackle will probably be the other one, maybe certain offensive line positions. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it, it's like you draft somebody and you expect production out of that player for the length of the rookie contract, maybe a year or two after that, and then they're gone. You know, you're replacing them with a younger player. And when you get into the non-superstars, just the decent players, rookie contract, and then they're gone. So, you know, it, it's it's getting those those contracts lower, getting them to two years instead of four, because people would pay then, because your running back productivity, while it's still not going to be the most efficient use of it, when I, I mentioned about like that career arc, that career value, a career remaining value um, that they have, there's still going to be productivity in there because they've only got two years in the league and you're still going to get that productivity year three, year four, and you're not going to be as concerned with year five, year six because, you know, you're playing, certainly you're playing for today more than tomorrow. And anyway, even if you you sign a deal at that point, you can probably get out of it by the sixth year. So, you know, that's kind of the uh, way that 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 has to get fixed.
Uh, David, if the young players on the Jets outperform some of the veterans who could be a salary cap victim this year or next. So I don't think anyone this year. You know, I, I think um, at this point, I, I would think, you know, the Jets' decisions are pretty much made. Um, let me pull them up. I'll just see. You know, like they're, they're not going to cut C.J. Mosley because some someone comes in and plays really well. Um, you know, Corey Davis maybe, but... I don't know if Aaron Rodgers wants him here. He's not going anywhere. Um, you know, Becton, they'd have to find a taker for. Um, I'm just seeing if there's anybody else that stands out here. They don't really gain anything on any of these guys on a post-June 1. Um, and again, that falls into the Aaron Rodgers thing. Uh, you know, next year, I mean, probably someone like a Lake and Tomlinson, I would imagine, is in danger if somebody can step up. Any of the tight ends, you know, somebody can step up and play better. Um, John Franklin Myers, he, he could be someone, I think, who gets uh, gets pushed. Um, let's see, Lawson is a free agent. Quincy Williams has a partial guarantee. That would be one you could probably look at, even though there's a partial. I would say that would be more likely than looking at a pay cut versus anything else. Um, you know, th those would probably be the guys. I think Lakin Tomlinson is the guy. If they if Jets can find somebody else, he'd be in big danger because that one right now looks like it was a bad signing. Matt, how would you structure a contract to front load the cap hit and keep the player from feeling underpaid at the end of the deal? Um... Hmm. That's a good question. You know, there's ways that you can do that. Um, basically, you'd be following San Francisco's model with Garoppolo years ago, where, you know, what you're doing is instead of giving them a signing bonus, you are just paying it all as kind of a base salary in the first year. So you're still going to keep those salaries on the back end relatively high, but by you know prorating by not doing those prorations, you'll keep their cap numbers low while their cash figures stay reasonable. So I, I guess that would really be the way to do it. Um, you know, if that was what you were looking to do with the contracts. Shoes supplemental draft question: If you trade the pick in a round but have one from another team in that round, can you offer it, or for the draft does it have to be your own pick? I'm not sure of that. I, I would guess it's the higher of the two, but I, I don't know. John, can you explain cash over cap? I saw a video on YouTube that argues the NFL salary cap isn't real because owners have the ability to pay cash over cap without limitation. If so, does that give large market mega wealthy owners an advantage? Uh, not really. You know, you can, you can pay cash over cap, um, but for the most part, again, unless you've got like these really good general managers who are, um, you know, getting these players who really you know, outlast those age curves and everything else, um, you know, and are just very creative with the way they're doing their deals, um, eventually it catches up with you. You know, for example, Atlanta and Carolina had, you know, pretty bullish um, seasons a couple of years there in a row. And, you know, that they, they were spending money and they had to cut back significantly on spending because the salary cap caught up with them because the decisions didn't work out. You know, if Philadelphia has a year or two where 
all these guys fall apart. You know, not everything works for them. Remember extending Brandon Brooks, you know, disaster, right? Extending Carson Wentz, disaster. If for, let, let's say for the sake of argument, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Jalen Hurts, um, trying to think of one of their other bigger deals off the top of my head. Um, you know, one of their other players, you know, um, all kind of fall apart. You know, the the offensive lineman because of age, um, the quarterback just because he was a one-season wonder. You know, Philadelphia is going to be in a position where they're impacted in what they can do despite the fact that they're willing to spend cash over cap. Just because now it's caught up to you because you can't string those cap hits along on productive players. Now those players are not productive and now they become a massive liability. And when you get too many of them that become a liability at the same time, you end up in a pretty bad situation. So that that's that's kind of why the salary cap prevents teams from being able to do that. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, being able to to spend a lot more than the cap from your ownership, um, you know, can be a very big advantage in the right situation. Colin, when using the OTC trade calculator to trade for draft picks, uh, what do you call the APY for a player that doesn't have a position selected? Is it okay to say average projected APY and then expected APY? What's position selected or is there something else you prefer? Uh, it's just a blind position. It's just an average, I believe is how we have that. You know, what would be the average of all positions? Um, I don't remember if that includes quarterback. It probably doesn't. I, I can't remember. Um you know, I, I, the way that I like to look at the, the trade value charts is you're trading up. You know specifically the player you're going to get. When you trade down, it's very rare that you know the player you're going to get. I mean, there, there's some there's some times where that is the case. Like, team moves from six to seven. You, you, you know who you're going to pick at number seven because you know who they're moving up for at number six. Um, but you certainly have no idea who you're going to get in the third round. So I like to just use a blind number in terms of valuing it. And then I will go back after the fact and I'll plug in the positions that were selected and say, okay, this is the ultimate outcome of the trade. But when they made it, you know, this was the expected outcome. Did they do better or did they do worse based on, you know, how they decided to, to um, allocate their draft resources? Uh, let's see if there's anything else. Oh, it looks like a couple more. All right. 13-4, Kings of the North. We got the Vikings. Why do you think the Bears are not trying to win in year three of fields? I assume it's because polls is negative on field. Seems crazy to not try to win in year three of a quarterback you actually believe in. I mean, they're, they're trying to win. It's not like Chicago's out there. They, Chicago added a ton of money in free agency this year. Um, you know, they made a trade for a receiver. They made a trade for the receiver last year. Now, obviously, there's stories coming out that Claypool's not very dedicated and, you know, they're, they're not liking what they're seeing there. Um, you know, I, I think what Chicago is trying to do is Chicago wants to keep the flexibility around them to be able to continue to build around fields or whomever else they might select, um, you know, in the future with all these draft picks that they have uh, if Fields doesn't work out. 
So I, I, first of all, there wasn't that kind of talent in free agency for Chicago to just go ballistic and just be like, I want this guy, I want this guy, I want this guy, I want this guy. Be like, okay, this is my team for two years. They're taking an approach where they added to the team this year. They're still leaving themselves a lot of leeway with the salary cap to where they can still significantly add next year. And they can probably still significantly add the season after that if they, they approach this year the same way. So I think that they're not looking at this because remember, Fields is not, this isn't like having a, a Justin Herbert there where if you're the Chargers, you really in that year three, based on where he was at, um, you know, you just have to look at this and just be like, okay, we've got to go all in with this kid. Like he he's proven that, you know, he's there. Um Justin Fields isn't there. You know, Justin Fields is, you know, exciting. Um, you know, he, he was certainly their offense last year, but I mean, what did he throw for? You know, not not even 200 yards a game. Um, let me look up his passing numbers. Uh, 2,200 yards, um, 150 a game. So, I mean, he, he's just not there right now. Dynamic, great runner. Um, you know, but I, I think they're trying to see what they can get out of him as a quarterback. And, you know, do you extend him? You know, and they're giving him enough to be able to make, I think, that kind of decision. Um, so I, I don't think they've they've bailed on it. I think they're just taking a cautious approach to, to just maximize their ability to keep improving their team over the next couple of years, whatever direction that might go in. Uh, certainly, I don't think they're committed to fields. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're not non-committal, non-committed to him. You know, I, they, I think they're very open-minded to uh, his future with the team. Garbage Pail Kids. Best guess on what the Rodgers restructure will look like. What do you figure is taking so long? They just, Jets just take a long time. Um, you know, they, they just do. So, you know, who knows what the, the reason is. Um, you know, the, the Jets have, how much cap room do they have right now? Um, 20 something. They still have to sign their top pick, I think. You know, that'll eat up a little bit of it. They have 23. My assumption is it's going to end up looking very similar to what they would have traded for originally. You know, they're probably going to need him at a cap hit this year of like 15 to 18 million. And, you know, a cap hit next year of... Thirty million, thirty-five, you know, and then just defer whatever dead to twenty twenty-five. Yeah, you know, that that's probably what they need. I, I have a very hard time believing Aaron Rodgers is going to come and after everything that went on in Green Bay, you know, come here and say, "Oh, okay, you know, I was going to make about fifty-five million a year. I'll play for thirty million a year because I really love the Jets." Like, I just have a hard time with that. But I mean, if if it happens, it happens. Navy SEAL supporter, who would you pay more to, Herbert or Burrow? Oh, that's a great question. Um, if you had a pick between the two, you know, because obviously the, the guy who's going to get more is the guy who signs second. Um, 
It's a, it is it's a tough call. So Burrow's got this great situation right now in Cincinnati, right? They have it's like a the perfect group of personnel. Um, I know the offensive line's not good, but you know with the skill positions, he's got a group of personnel that you know fits really well. You know they got three receivers; they're all in a good position. Um, you know, good spots in their careers; everything matches up right. So it's like he's got that, and Herbert doesn't have that kind of situation, right? It's still kind of, you know, you've got Mike Williams who can be dynamic. He could be a nothing, and sometimes he's on the sidelines. You've got Keenan Allen who misses missed some time and is, you know, on the wrong side of, uh, you know, his career. Um you know, and then it's just like some Mitch, Mitch, mix and match guys, um, you know, there. So in that sense, it's hard to compare the two. Um, you know, we've seen Burrow perform in high pressure playoff situations. Um, you know, we haven't seen that with the Chargers yet. Um, you know, based on upside, I, I think I'd probably go Herbert, though. You know, I do like the fact that you know Burrow can definitely play in the cold weather and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that, that that's always something that worries me a little bit about stuff. You know, I'd be worried about that even with like a DeAndre Hopkins, especially at this stage of his career. Um, you know, going if, if you were going from, you know, playing in the AFC South and playing in the NFC West where, you know, it's just a lot of like good weather, dome, you know, kind of stuff. And end of your career, and now you're going to like New England. That that would worry me a little bit. Um, you know, and may, maybe that's a worry on the quarterback end too. In this case, uh, but I, I think I'd go just upside potential. Um, I think I'd go Herbert. Um, but I, I I think you make a case for both guys. What's a reasonable contract for Saquon and Josh Jacobs? Um, I look at Barkley as the same as Derrick Henry, you know, 12 million a year, 12 and a half, 13. Um, Jacobs, you know, 10 million, 11 million. Um, you know, I, I think those are perfectly fair um, within the framework of the current marketplace. I don't think that they, they'd be considered insulting offers. Um, but I, I can understand, especially if you're Barkley looking at this and being like, man, you know, the Panthers gave McCaffrey all this money. Why, why am I not getting this? The Cowboys gave it to Ezekiel Elliott. Why am I not getting this? And it's like, where did the Panthers go? Where have the Cowboys gone? Like, you know, that that's why it's not happening. Um, Bears. Um, so I talked about the Bears a minute ago, if that's the, the question there. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I think they're just, uh, they're in a position where they're keeping their window open as long as possible to where they can just keep reworking this team based on who the quarterback is going to be. Alex, if the Bears end up with $25 million in cap, could they push it back towards next year? Yeah, yeah, everything carries over. Happy Father's Day. Would you rather be a general manager or an agent? Um, to be honest, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably neither. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I don't know if um, my personality would really fit 
either of those things, um, you know, for, for what you do to be, you know, kind of highly successful, I think, in those roles. Um, being a successful agent can probably be much more lucrative because you've just, you're going to have a much longer career um, with what you do. But it's a, it's a lot of salesmanship. It's a lot of recruiting. Um, a lot of stuff that, you know, has to exchange hands to get done. Running a football team, I think, would be a lot more fun than building an agency or something like that. Uh, but I, I don't know if that would really be, you know, in a skill set either. Um, I, I guess I would lean towards GM. But, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think the, uh, my skill set would be either of those two. Thomas, NFL teams can only trade picks for the next three draft cycles. What would be the implications if that was changed to seven draft cycles like the NBA? Would most of the teams go all in or full tank? Any effect on contracts, salary cap management? So if you were allowed to do something like that, you would definitely have a bunch of teams that went all in. You would see some ridiculous trades. You know, you, you would see Kirk Cousins traded for like three number one picks with the first number one pick coming in like 2029. Um, you know, I, I think you would get that. And I do think that that would be a scenario where you would probably see certain teams bail on players, um, you know, because of those draft halls, which they would try to be selling to their owners. Like we are really setting ourselves up in the future for greatness. Um, but I think that that's the big thing that you would see. I think that you would see just a lot of like, uh, a lot of stuff that would happen. Now, you'd have to sell both. So, I mean, you would still get like, it would probably be one of those deals where if you traded a player away, you would get a number one pick next year. Maybe even a number one pick in two drafts, but probably you'd get a number one pick next year and then you would just get loaded up with number one picks in the future. Jeff, I always hear the uh, top 51 term used for salary caps. I assume that means only the 51 players that makes the, make the most account for the cap. Why it's 51? Uh, I, I don't know why. It seems like an arbitrary number. I, I can't recall the, the logic behind the 51 players instead of 53. Like To me, 53 makes sense because your active in-season um, is 53 players. But they've always used 51 for whatever purposes. Um, I guess it was probably in the early days of the cap to, to give the teams a little bit more leeway um, in the offseason so they had some time to work out contracts. You know, at the time, you know, teams would really get into a pinch with some of the deals that they were doing with players, um, you know, in the way that they had them structured. So maybe that's what it was. It was just to give a little bit more, um, a little bit more cap room and time Uh for the teams to be able to to kind of manage their cap until they got into uh, the regular season. Derek, the best time to trade Chase Young will probably be midseason to a contender looking to have the final piece, assuming he stays healthy and produces at a decent level. What will the package be? Um, oh, I don't know. You know that that's a that's a good one. You know, Leonard Williams, for example, on the Jets. Um, you know, he went for some mid-round picks, um, you know, you, but you're giving a situation where you know, you'd have a decent amount, a decent sack production here. Um, so I, I would say this from Washington's perspective, I would say it would just depend on, 
where they are as a team. You know, if they're two and five or something like that, uh, I think you would trade him because you're going nowhere. And as a team, you're really going nowhere with that quarterback situation that you likely have. Um, you know, if they're four and three, you know, you're probably not trading him if that's the kind of production he's giving you. Um, my guess is you'd look for a first round pick. Is is that what the Dolphins gave for Bradley Chubb? I think they did, right? Yeah, they got a first round pick. So I, I would imagine that would be what you'd be uh, getting for Young would be a first round pick. Um, you know, if you at any kind of productive level. Brian, I don't know if you've addressed before, but what would a contract for Hopkins look like? I assume something like 360, 35 guaranteed to make it effectively a two-year. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, 110 up to 15. You know, something like Odell Beckham, something like Michael Thomas. You know, 110 up to 13, 110 up to 15. One, I can't imagine anyone else is going to do a 115 up to 18. Um you know, but somewhere I, I I would think a year somewhere between ten and fifteen million. Any anything longer than that, I mean, that's insane. Tej, if the NFL got rid of the salary cap or implemented a luxury tax, what would it mean for the league? Would teams with the richest owners dominate? Would we still see parity? So, I think you would still see a lot of parity. Um, the only thing is, is we do have more. You know, there's more advanced thinking in the league. Um, you know, with that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the other thing is, you know, even the owners that do have the biggest budgets, they've always pushed for a salary cap. So I, I don't even know how many of them would really go wild with spending. Um, you know, probably be the same ones that do it now. So I'm not sure, you know, but if you go back, even in the pre-salary cap era, um, the salary cap probably has not produced as much as you would think. It did in the early days of the cap when teams were struggling with managing it. Lots of players got the free agency. Um, you know, you don't have those situations right now that exist. And the quarterbacks drive so much of what goes on in the league and at the moment, at least, they all get extended. So it's not like those game changers are there to change things. So I think it, it would, the only way it would probably change significantly would be if the entire free agency system changed. So in other words, you'd have to get rid of franchise tags. You'd probably have to reduce the, the length of rookie contracts, that kind of stuff. If you had the ability to know that every player that got drafted, say three years from now, was going to be an unrestricted free agent. And you didn't have to worry um, about a salary cap. I think you would see, you know, teams like Philadelphia, teams like Atlanta, they would just, they would blow things up completely. Um, you know, and... <clears throat> you know, I, I think they would probably have teams that, at least for a certain period of time, dominated the sport. Until, you know, again, everything at some point levels out, right? Salaries can only rise so fast and so much, and then eventually it hits a breaking point and, you know, things change. But I do think for, you know, let, let's call it a period of like 10 years, 
if you had no salary cap and you had pure free agency after, say, three years, even after four, um, where everybody was going to get to be a free agent, where you legitimately had a chance in any given year to sign, you know, if one year it would be Trevor Lawrence, another year would be Patrick Mahomes, another year would be Josh Allen. Like, if that's what you're talking about, you know, you you would see the teams that had those rich owners um, would really push because not only are they going to sign the top quarterbacks, they're going to go out there and they're going to make sure they sign the, that top receiver in his prime. They're going to make sure they get those best tackles in their prime, uh, the best corners. You know, you're, you're going to see that, and it would change the whole dynamic then. But just getting rid of the salary cap but keeping free agency as is, you know, I, I don't think it would happen just because the the impact players are not there enough. Um, you know, I, I think to, to make that kind of a dramatic change. So I, I think you'd still see a lot of parity that exists now. Um, but I think what you would not get are the situation. I guess that's what it is. What you wouldn't get are the situations like that I mentioned before with Atlanta you know, where they, they get into a period where they can't do stuff for two or three years because of the salary cap, because of the implications of what happened, you know, where the Saints are at, where, you know, they can't do maybe all the things they'd like to do because of the salary cap. Those kind of teams, um, you know, would, would never have those real kind of down years, or even if you don't want to call them down years, if you just want to call them kind of like... Um, non-impact seasons, those kind of teams wouldn't have that. They'd, they'd still be very active in uh, trying to improve. And right now they can't do that. Last question, at least I think. Uh, Mike, is there a legitimate chance if Joe Burrow doesn't get the richest contract ever after this season? Um, depends, I guess, on how you measure it. But uh, I would imagine the minute he signs, he's, you know... Um, you know he he's going to uh, he's going to get that. You know he, he he'll get that contract. I, I would imagine that that uh, that would certainly be the case. All right, so I think that does it for me. Um, hopefully, I'll be back this week. I, I don't I don't know what's going on with the schedule for stuff, but uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week and do some things. But if not, two weeks from now, we'll do another podcast. So. If anyone has any questions, you can get them to me in the interim, and I'll uh, I'll try to get to them. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I'll try to get some videos done and a couple other things done over the course of uh, this summer. But uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again soon.